Thank you for listening to Perfectly Palm Beach. I want to thank my sponsors this month, the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation, whose mission is to rapidly accelerate the development of drugs to prevent, treat, and cure Alzheimer's disease as well as Susan Listerlock Designs, her contemporary and traditional custom jewelry using rare gems and precious metals is located on Nantucket and is open June through December and in Palm Beach, January through May. Log on to SusanListerlock.com for more information. Hey guys, I'm just back at the studio and uh, we just finished recording our episode with the Alzheimer's Drug and Discovery Foundation. I'm very excited to share it all with you. It's kind of an important subject and something that so many people are affected by. But before we start, I just wanted to thank you all so much for all of your support. I love all the emails and DMs that I get about Perfectly Palm Beach and people are curious about my clothes and my jewelry. And I just wanted to give a little shout out to the jewelry that I'm wearing today, which is designs by Susan Lister Locke. And um, she will take your pearls or you can buy her pearls and she attaches all these beautiful little charms and you can engrave anything you want on them and I just loved this so I couldn't wait to wear it and share it with you guys and then she has these beautiful earrings that are kind of an open design and I'm wearing uh, the sapphires today because I'm a blue girl um, but they they come in rubies and diamonds and um, and emeralds, and they're just so beautiful. And then my gorgeous bracelet that I'm going to hold up for you guys, um, which is pounded 18, I think it's either 18 or 14 karat gold, and this is also beautiful um, sapphires in here. So check her out, Susan Listerlock. Um, it's Susan Listerlock with an E.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Perfectly Palm Beach. This is the great place to have good conversations with interesting Palm Beachers because there's so many people in town doing amazing things. It just never ends. And I'm just so pleased all the time that I run into so many people that are doing really great, interesting things and not just sitting in the sun or playing tennis and golf. I mean, all that's fun too, but it's really fun to be involved while you're here. So um, with no delay, I'm going to jump right into our guests today. We're tackling a very serious subject today, um, Alzheimer's, um, which is prevalent all across the country and, of course, in places like southern Florida where there's a lot of aging population. You hear about stories like this all the time. Today we have Nancy Goods, who is my very dear friend and uh, one of the governors of the Alzheimer Drug and Discovery Foundation. And joining her is Dr. Howard Fillett, who is a senior chief science officer, correct? Correct. And co-founder of the ADDF. Can we now move to the initials of that ADDF? Yes. Do that? Good. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, I'm so happy that you guys are here. This is a really important um, it is good really to be important here. Subject to to Thank tackle. Um, I'd love to start with you, Nancy, okay. though, because I think for so many of our listeners who are involved in taking care of a person who is struck by this this disease, it, it's it's they're going to be able to relate to you right away. Tell us your your journey a little bit and how you met Dr. Fillet and where you are in terms of taking care of your husband, Mel, who has advanced Alzheimer's. My husband was diagnosed this summer of 2009, and he went to a top neurologist in New York City, and he said, here's a pill for your husband. Be nice to him and good luck. 
And oh no, you're kidding. That no, was it. That was it. And oh. I didn't know anyone else who had Alzheimer's. They got to get you. Nineteen years yeah. younger than my husband, uh-huh. and he didn't want anyone to know at that time. There's still an awful stigma about right. having Alzheimer's. Right. So yeah. close friends of ours were spending New Year's with us, and Mel decided to tell uh, Rick Solomon. And Rick is was associated with Rockefeller University, and he emailed the head of Rockefeller and said, who's the go-to guy for right. Alzheimer's? Mm-hmm. And it was Dr. Fillet. Yes. Who knew? Who uh, knew? And <laughs> he said, Dr. Fillet will call you on January 2nd. And I think you were in our house a week later. Yeah. And he wore two hats. One was fundraising and the other was, I'll be Mel's doctor. And uh, So you received the great care that you needed, right? Yes. Three yes. Hats. What? Research, care. <clears throat> right. And yeah, we got to have money. And friend. And friend. And friend. And right. Friend. And, you know, it gave me a home, a community, a place that I could call and get help. Comfort. And comfort. Right. And a week later, Leonard Lauder showed up and he and Mel really hit it off and we joined the board at that point. Yeah. And can I talk about being sent to Scotland? Yeah, let's talk okay. about Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. There was a trial going on in Scotland in Aberdeen, Scotland, and Leonard sent Howard, Mel, and I to Scotland to get on this um, trial. It was for compassionate use. It was a repurposed drug, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't give him something that had not been tested or, you know, that would harm him. Right. And uh, I think to this day, and Howard could speak more <laughs> about it, my, it's 12 years later, and my husband is still very viable. And, and doing so well. He, well, he has late-stage Alzheimer's, yeah. but he is happy and sweet and, you know, still feeding himself, still talking, still exercising. Yeah. It's quite amazing. It's but amazing. my husband's a fighter, too. Right. You know? M- Mel's right. amazing because yeah. Mel, back in maybe many years, I don't know how many de- decades ago, probably in the 1990s, actually, mm-hmm. he was CEO of Warner Lambert. Mm-hmm. And... He was, he was very well known and respected because he actually was the, when he was CEO of Warner Lambert, he brought Lipitor to market. Right, so he's a well-known guy mm-hmm. in the industry. But right. the, the other thing that people don't know about Mel is that he brought the first drug for Alzheimer's disease to market back in oh, 1995, wow. okay. which was kind of a really toxic drug with very little effect mm-hmm. but mel recognized way back in 1995 that we needed drugs for alzheimer's and he was a champion and a pioneer mm. you know way out in front of everybody and wow. even though this drug was not the best drug it was never a commercial success mm-hmm. it opened up the door to all the subsequent drugs like denepazil or aricep which has always been the leading drug in the field that was due to mel's efforts and the other thing about mel that i want to say which is amazing he is a great speaker and advocate and he, I'll never forget, I think we were at the Metropolitan Club, and Mel, at the luncheon, gave a speech. And basically, he got up and said to all the people, I have Alzheimer's, mm. and we're going to fight this thing. Right. And, and he's it was still fighting. So he's inspiring. Still fighting. Yeah. It's a, so inspiring. Exactly. So inspiring. Well, Dr. Um, Phil, you came on in 1998. You're one of the co-founders with Leonard and Ronald Lauder. Yeah who were also Palm Beachers, who we we love and respect, and yeah. they, they really contribute so much to our community and so much around the world. Yeah. So you guys are sort of the lead researchers, mm-hmm. correct? Well, we have in, a very in- unique model. So <clears throat> I took care of Estee Lauder for about 10 years, mm-hmm. and the family saw what the disease was about, right. and they wanted to do something. And they thought a lot about what they could do. They're very well-known, extensive philanthropists. <clears throat> yes, they And they are. realized that right. the gap... Yeah. Whereas in innovation in developing drugs. Mm-hmm. And so in starting this 
it started as a family foundation and eventually uh, morphed into this the public charity, which is the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation. Right. Um, and they, when they uh, made the strategic plan and the mission, they said that we were going to do three things and nothing else. And it was all about which developing treatments for Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease, doing d- drug development, mm-hmm. taking risk on new drugs, mm-hmm. developing drugs for prevention, mm-hmm. and developing new diagnostic tests so that we could identify people early right. and definitely and specifically, and also use those tests for the development of new drugs. And the story is amazing. I, I mean, I say that with all humility, but the way it's played out over the last almost 25 years has just been incredible. I mean, philanthropy philanthropy obviously plays a huge role because it gives you the the license to be able to do the things that you do. But I think that, that what our, excuse me one second, Nancy, but I think that what our listeners really want to know about is yeah. the effect on the family because everybody talks about the how, how difficult it is for everybody involved when somebody in the family yeah. is diagnosed. And, and why... Every when I told people that you guys were coming on, yeah. everybody wanted to know why is this disease so pervasive? Yeah. What are the early, de- you know, de- how, how do you? Sure, do we you can talk about that. Well, I, early I detection. Can speak about Mel and how. Okay. I mean, I battled with him for two years before I got him diagnosed, and I had to trick him into being diagnosed. Nobody wants that diagnosis, right? Even though I think he knew his father had Alzheimer's. But uh-huh. he was so very. There was a DNA, there was, it's uh, oh, a genetic. Gener- genetic yeah, yeah, yes. My my husband was genetically tested. Okay. But um, he was very repetitive in um, all his conversations. He was mm-hmm. also pulling back socially because he felt inadequate and that he couldn't keep up with a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he couldn't play bridge anymore, and he was mm-hmm. turning more and more things over to me. You know, he's delegating, and that's right. not who my husband was. He was right. saying, you pay the bill. And, you know, so I knew something was was off. Right. You know, because right. women ask me all the time. I said, you know, if your husband's not paying attention to you, that doesn't mean he has Alzheimer's because men have selective hearing. Particularly you know? when football is on. <laughs> right. right. They only want to know when it's Do time to go. Yeah. But if your right. husband's asking you where we're we yeah. going tonight three times, yes. it doesn't mean he has Alzheimer's. Yes. Well, it's yes. not just that, though. The, <laughs> right. the, actually, the average time from onset of first symptoms to diagnosis is about two years, yeah. mm-hmm. which is a long time to be suffering. And it's it not is. just it it's not just the patient who's afraid to get the diagnosis. It's often the spouse sure. yes. who doesn't want to know and lives of in course. denial. Of and course. the doctor doesn't really want to diagnose it because when you diagnose Alzheimer's and if you do it properly, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to make the diagnosis, although we've shortened that time now because we have a blood test on the market, which I could talk about, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. Wow, okay. And it's going to change the whole way we do primary care for Alzheimer's. But also, if you make the diagnosis, then it it invokes a lot of... uh, education and counseling of the family how do you take care of someone who's literally losing their mind right exactly. and that's you know that's what i do i'll spend an hour an hour and a half with patients mm-hmm. but i get a lot of referrals from people that say you know I, I have my doctor i know i went to the neurologist they told me i had alzheimer's they gave me a pill mm-hmm. and that was it and that's you know these people people need to be cared for right. i mean being cared for it's what i've been doing for 40 years because with it can people. be a very long drawn out it illness, is it's I, a long drawn I, I know out. You're, you're affiliated with Mount Sinai, which I think I didn't say in the beginning, and I'm, I'm sorry because I certainly want to give the hospital that kind of um, that that nod. It's so it's such an important institution. Yeah. Um, but I, I I'm curious if you could literally just quickly before we continue. Yeah. 
Tell us the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia, because I think oh, people, yeah, people. I get asked that all the time. Everybody right, wants right. to know well, the it's, difference. it's very simple. If if somebody came into the office and they were pale, mm -hmm. and they were weak, and they were tired, mm -hmm. I do blood test, right? right? And maybe their blood count is low, so I'd say they have an anemia. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Now, what's the next thing I do? I try to find out why they have an anemia. I want to get to a diagnosis. Okay. Anemia just describes a patient. It's what we call a syndrome. Mm -hmm. But it's not a diagnosis per se of a cause. Okay. So maybe they have a bowel cancer and they're losing blood in the bowel. Maybe they have some sort of uh, reaction against their blood cells that they're destroying their blood cells called a hemolytic anemia. Okay. Um, so we do various tests to figure out why somebody has a low blood count and we come up with a diagnosis. Okay. So dementia is like anemia. Mm -hmm. It describes the patient. It's a chronic progressive loss of cognition and function that's not due to any it's not due to like a tumor or stroke it's okay. due to alzheimer's disease and so the 70 oh. percent of people that have dementia mm -hmm. in its various stages from mild cognitive impairment which is the earliest stages which is characterized only by primarily memory loss short-term memory loss okay. and little deficits in, in abstract reasoning basically executive function mm -hmm. that progresses over a period of three to five years to mild dementia mm -hmm. where people start having functional loss like they, they can't do their finances they can't make plans they might start having trouble picking out their clothes mm -hmm. then that goes to moderate and severe dementia and severe dementia a person is completely dependent on care they're they're like a, a two-year-old or a one-year-old they can't dress themselves they can't bathe themselves they can't feed themselves when they try to feed themselves they often aspirate food the food goes in the lungs causes pneumonia called aspiration pneumonia and that's the most common cause of death mm -hmm. so alzheimer's is a chronic progressive uniformly fatal uh, form of neurodegeneration and it causes 70 percent of the cases of dementia and the reason that's important and i'll stop is that about 10 percent of cases of dementia when a person comes into the clinic and goes through a diagnostic uh, evaluation. Mm -hmm. They're reversible causes like thyroid problems or B12 problems mm -hmm. or maybe little strokes that too we pick. Too much iron too. Some, sometimes. Yeah. So, so we have to go through a proper diagnostic uh, algorithm to get to the right diagnosis. But it's mostly people that are uh, are older, right? Because you're, you're the average age the of geriatric. onset is about 70, 75. But the disease starts, we know from these brain scans that we help to develop, we can see the disease now in the brain on a PET scan 20 years before people develop symptoms. Imagine that we could send 50-year-olds, 55-year-olds to get a brain scan, or today now it's a blood test that correlates with the brain scan. And we find these people 20 years before they develop symptoms. We can do prevention studies. And prevention, so now we can do prevention uh, research to prevent, because that's really the goal, right? We want to prevent people. Well, right, exactly. That uh, kind of leads me into my other question, which, are you want to add something Well, else? yeah, because I was like a bull in a china shop with my husband, because I knew that if he was diagnosed, there was something we could do. You wait too long, it's too late. Mm -hmm. And so the earlier you're diagnosed, the more there is treatment for you. If I could have gotten five more years with my husband, right. that would have been precious. Right, exactly. You, you probably did. Exactly. I probably did. I yeah, exactly. probably got ten. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so let's talk about the preventative stuff, guys. Yeah. Okay. So in doing my research about this, and I always my brain always goes to environment and food and yeah. 
you know, things like diet and lack of exercise. So, so what does the research show you in terms of those kinds of things? Yeah, that kind what of- What brings it on? What develops that sticky stuff in your brain that's the amyloids? The amyloid plaques. We, yeah, what causes that? Well, we, we think we have some ideas, but we don't really know exactly what causes it. <clears throat> um, but, you know, in, in some ways you could think of it as a scar. Uh, little scars in the brain that add up and build up and kill brain cells. The brain is constantly being injured, constantly. All our cells are constantly being injured, but we have amazing repair mechanisms, right? Right. right. So, but it, as we age, the injury starts to overcome the repair mechanisms, and these cellular debris from injury just start accumulating in these but, plaques. But this—that's from hitting your head, or no? That's it's from, just from normal cellular just from life. Just cellular, cellular degeneration. Cellular—it's aging, aging of the brain. Aging, aging oh, of the I don't brain. Like that word. <laughs> Infl- that word. Okay. Inflammation, yeah. for Inflammation. example. Inflammation. A lot of that is diet and lack of exercise, and is there is right. right? So, in the, so you can, there, you can control inflammation development in your exactly. body. Exactly. So, well, to some degree. So, what happened? I'm hoping. So <laughs> there was a study, and they uh, from the British uh, called the Lancet Commission recently mm-hmm. showed that if you took uh, took care of twelve factors, twelve mm-hmm. risk factors. You could reduce the incidence of Alzheimer's by forty percent, which is amazing. Because if you average, if you you know, just to give put it in some sort of context, if the average age of onset of dementia is seventy five, mm-hmm. and the average age of death is eighty, right? Mm-hmm. So if we could delay the average age of onset of dementia by five years, then 50% less people would die without losing their minds. And that's the goal of geriatric medicine, quality of life. Correct. Okay. Right. So that's an achievable goal. And recently, based on 40 years of prevention research, mostly epidemiology, observational studies, following people, looking at associations of diet and exercise and smoking and alcohol and sleep. Yeah lifestyle, plus comorbidity management, which means diabetes, hypertension, obesity. And so there's 12 of these risk factors, Mm -hmm. hearing loss. And they, 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 you know, all the experts got together and published this huge report and said that if people did all these things for 20, 30 years, that 40% of the cases would be prevented. So we have the knowledge now to do prevention. Right. And if you think right. about the way we prevent heart disease, it's the same thing. Right. Same and factor. And all these other diseases. But I mean, what's the difference? The difference in heart disease is that we add a statin. We add, to, because we know cholesterol plays a role in heart disease in right. addition to exercise and all these other things. Mm-hmm. So we're funding a trial out of, uh, the, um, out of Finland, Sweden, and London, where one of our current board members actually is leading this trial and we've given her quite a bit of money. She's doing a prevention trial, a randomized control prevention trial, which is the highest level of evidence to show that you really can prevent something. And she showed that this really works. Mm. The placebo was people who just got like one-time counseling and didn't really comply with the the program. Mm -hmm. And her randomized intervention was to make sure that people were compliant over not a long period of time. It was only over, you know, several months. But what we're doing, like in heart disease where you add a drug, we're adding a drug called metformin, which is a leading anti-aging drug. It's also a diabetic agent. But we've done- we've Wait, wait that's a drug for, for Alzheimer's? Di- for or diabetes. For diabetes. But we repurposed it. Nancy mentioned repurposing. We have yeah. almost 20 repurposing yeah. trials going on now because it's a wonderful way to learn how drugs work and yeah. get to market quickly. But you have a new drug, right, that was just introduced recently? And, that's and, not and, our drug. Oh, that's your not. No, no, okay. No. Well, but the, you got 
I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, actually, our foundation enabled the FDA to approve that drug. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not over-exaggerating, okay? What happened was we helped to invent this brain scan mm-hmm. that identifies the plaques in living people. So you can see very – I mean, I can do – I can order this test in my private practice. And if somebody has a memory problem, I can order that test. They go down the street to the radiology office. They get the PET scan, and the next morning – I can know with 90%, 95% certainty if they have Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Now, that's changing clinical care. And with the blood test, you're reducing the cost by almost tenfold, and you don't have to go for the brain scan. And that's on the market in 49 states. But what it did was it changed the way we do clinical trials. But the blood test that you're saying that you that you have, which is a direct directly right. linked to the ADDF, right? That you guys- the, the, We invested in a company invested, out of mm-hmm. Washington University mm-hmm. uh, that was spun out of Washington University that developed the blood test. Mm-hmm. And the blood test correlates very highly with the brain scan. But the, the thing about the brain scan, what happened was we were doing clinical trials of these anti-amyloid drugs mm-hmm. without knowing if people had amyloid in their brain. Yeah. People were being misdiagnosed. 30% of yeah. people oh, that went into right. the clinical trials right. didn't have Alzheimer's. So you couldn't get a result. Right. So then you they couldn't start- tell if it was working either because yeah. there was no end result. You couldn't see. There, exactly. There's, there's so much exactly. in the world that has, you know, our plant-based diets and th- lifestyle changes that people have made. Yeah. We know how much exercise, well, how that affects the body in, in, and in the beneficial brain. ways and the brain. Diet isn't there. I mean, if you if you exercise all the time, you keep your alcohol level down. You eat, you know, a plant based diet. Yeah. You're, you're basically as healthy as you possibly, possibly can, can be. Yeah. You don't drink. You don't that do anything bad. That was my husband. <laughs> but my he husband but he had a but he had a had genetic, genetic component. Right. He had a genetic component. Right. He but had everything seeing, going for him on the health, you know, scale as yeah. far as are you see, are, are you seeing Alzheimer's development in people that don't have a genetic component? Yes, because there's so many ways to get to Alzheimer's, and that's the problem with developing drugs. Just like in cancer, we need four or five drugs to but treat why people. why is that? I mean, is it just, that's it's aging. just aging. Aging, the you cell get, goes why wrong. Why does aging have to be that way? Honestly, I you mean, have to ask God. I right. really don't know the answer. <laughs> no, really I mean, there funny. has to be something that, I mean, I'm not you know, talking about the fountain of youth, but I'm talking about, you know, just doing everything Right, you can walk outside and get hit well, by a car, of course, too. I, I think, but still, it would you know, be nice how, to know that you're doing as much as you can do. Yeah, and 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 but isn't not it more about aging. And and 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people did not live as long. My yeah. grandparents yeah, were all dead in the 70s. Did yeah, my grandmother too. have Alzheimer's? My mother did. <clears throat> my mother lived to 89. You know, it, nothing is certain. It's right, relative risk. Right. People feel better. And there are studies that show that people who do these preventative things, right. actually they have better cognition. Right. And they're protected. Right. So it's not like all or none. You know, we're not right. going to like just stop it. It with, feels like it. It feels like this disease affects everybody. I mean, everybody I know has somebody, knows somebody, well, affects let's put, their family. Well, let's look at the numbers, okay? So at, at age 65, it's about 5% of older people. Mm-hmm. At age 75, it's about 25% of older people, which is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. At age 85, it's 50%, 40, 50%. Those aren't good numbers. Those, you know, no. those are and, not and good there numbers. are studies. So, so right now there's about 6 million people with dementia mm-hmm. in the United States. It's diagnosed dementia, mm-hmm. but if you—that's just the tip of the iceberg. There was right. a recent study that suggested, based on brain scans, when you extrapolate what we see on brain scans in the general community, mm-hmm. there is probably 47 million people that are cooking Alzheimer's disease right now, Good and they Lord. don't know it. And those wow. are the people we want to get wow. to prevention. Yes, of course, and of course, so, everyone says, "I don't want to know." 
I don't want to be diagnosed. Right. right. Especially if you're 55 or 60. I don't right? want to know. No. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Who so, doesn't want to know? Your involvement since the very beginning is yeah. as one of the co-founders. Yeah. So obviously, you guys, the ADDF is just an incredible foundation. And yeah. what you've been able to do through the support of all the philanthropy is really incredible. Yeah. Is there something well, very- about sp- the venture philanthropy. Yeah. I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So when we incorporated, as I said, we told yeah. the IRS, these are three things we're going to do. We're going to develop drugs for treatment, drugs for prevention, and new diagnostic tests that are going to accelerate um, drug development. And that's exactly what happened with this new drug, Aduhelm. It was our test that, yeah, exactly. that enabled the accelerated approval. Mm-hmm. That That's amazing. That is amazing. Um, but we also told the IRS that we were going to be a venture of philanthropy because the activity that we were in the space that we were in was to develop drugs. And that ultimately, the success of that is commercial um, access, right? Mm-hmm. Market access, patient access. Correct. Yeah. So we wanted to be able to invest in biotech companies because if you just invest in academia, especially at that time, they don't know how to develop drugs. They do the basic research. We wanted to be a devil. We, we were totally focused. We don't do patient care, education, advocacy in Washington. We don't do basic research. All we do is fund and invest in the development of new drugs, period. That's which, what is, we, which is huge. And huge. We, which is really huge. And yeah. so w- what happens is as we want to do that, we have to engage with industry. We have to invest in these small biotechs that have tremendous amount of difficulty getting money because it's so risky. We Between 2003 and just this last approval, mm-hmm. we had almost 100% failure rate. I mean, failure after failure after failure. But from every failure, we learned from, something. You every, mean from investing in these biotech companies? And, well, and we have event- being able to go to market. Yes. Yeah. So that was, what's the what's the what's the failure? The failure is the drug didn't make it to the to the market because the drug didn't work. But we learned oh. from every drug that we invested okay. in, and now we're harvesting all of that experience. And we're going to see drugs coming to market. We've just only seen the first one. But, you know, it takes 20 years to develop a drug. You're going to hear about that later today with Dr. Longo from Stanford. We've been investing with Dr. Longo for over 20 years. That takes a long time and a lot of money. You know, my husband ran a drug company 20, 25 years, and now it's billions of dollars to bring a drug to market. And when you have the failure rate of Alzheimer's drugs, you know, there's not that many people who want to go there. The invest- right. Investors don't want to go there. So that's why venture philanthropy is so important. These small biotechs. It's medicine and business together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And philanthropy. But I don't think a lot of people are doing that, are they? Well, when we started in 1998, we were one of the only yes, organizations, philanthropy, that were doing venture philanthropy. Right. But now people, you know, other organizations have seen the light and each one is doing it yeah. uh, in, in their own way, mm-hmm. taking risks. Well, like well, that's we, how we right. got attached. And my husband thought it was a brilliant model, you know, and it was something that we wanted to invest in. So can you guys talk a little bit about the... the um, Sort of, I guess the I, I would call it the educational part of the disease. In other words, how this, how do you educate the all the people in the family in terms of when the diagnosis comes well, in? That, that's separate from care? the that's separate from the foundation. So I have a small private practice. Okay, so the foundation doesn't do that, but you do. That I do that in my practice, right, okay. and, and I think good doctors do that, or right. ancillary providers, mm-hmm. nurses, or whatever. Okay. Depends on the center. I, I wish I could say there were that many good doctors that really counsel the families. We, you don't get paid for counseling. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be. Ashamed. I know, to tell you how big, much medication. It's, it's such a big part of the disease, right? It affects everybody. Well, I, I mean, I think, for example, the Alzheimer's Association does some of that through their nurse lines, mm-hmm. um, and some of the Association on Aging around the country do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully, you know, doctors would do it. But like I say, I, I, I do it 
but it takes me an hour and an hour, sometimes more than that. And then I'm with them and I tell yeah. people, you know, I'm with you on this journey. Okay, this is a long journey, and it's a horrifying He's journey. He's gotten many frantic calls from me because, you know, I want to stay one step ahead of what's happening to my husband, so I'm prepared for it. Yes. And I think we've sort of done that with Mel because, mm-hmm. you know, you do know what's coming next. And he's gone through stages. He certainly He's has. gone through. And I counsel a lot of women. They call me because it's a very scary place to be, especially right. in the in the beginning when, you know, my husband said to me, I think I'm losing my mind. And you have to really invest and, and love your spouse. Right. Yeah. Nancy's, exactly. Nancy's like the icon of caregiving. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, she's done an amazing she's job. She's done an amazing, amazing job. Amazing job. Yes, yes, she does. So mm. so what's next for you guys? What is the ADDF going to focus on? And Well, we have a wonderful event coming up on March 3rd. We're honoring Erin and Jane Lauder at the Beach Club. And it'll be a, an evening event. And we'd love everybody to come out for this. And uh, I'm very excited that uh, the Lauder girls are investing in this with us, the the next generation of Lauders. Right, exactly. That sounds good. And Dr. Phillip, what is your, what's your next thing? My next thing? Your next thing. Um, Right, besides all your patients that you take care of. What do you have in a half an hour? What's what's your, what, what, what is your, what, what do you hope to is the next thing for the ADDF. Well, for one thing, I hope to get home tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. But, no uh, more snow. <laughs> no, uh, ADDF, you know, the science has moved forward. So when we started, we did a lot of drug discovery, which means preclinical drug research, mm-hmm. creating new molecules through medicinal chemistry, testing those molecules in animals to see if they have an effect mm-hmm. on the disease as it's right. engineered in the animals. Right. And then drugs move into the clinic. And they get tested for safety in phase one, and then they get tested for efficacy if there's a signal on the, on some outcome in phase two, and then they get proof and validation in phase three. Mm-hmm. And what we've done in the last three or four years is shift from kind of an 80% emphasis on the preclinical innovation mm-hmm. to a time where we realize that there's been enough 20 years of this kind of drug innovation in the preclinical space, and it's time to develop and conduct these clinical trials mm. that actually test the drug in humans because right. this is a uniquely human disease. This is where we come into the 20-year lineup, right? Yes. It takes, yeah. it takes okay. a long time. Right. But these drugs have to be, we've had so many success. We've cured mice like 700 times. Not, it's, not an, it's not an exaggeration. But, you know, the, when you do this, is, and this is common in depression and other diseases, you use the mice for a certain function to see if your drug gets into the brain and if it affects certain pathology. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you have to test these drugs in right. humans. And, and Alzheimer's is a uniquely human disease. I mean, mice don't write books, right? They, right. they don't do that kind of right. thing. So it's time for us to... Well, there's in, no genetic component for, for, for a mouse, Well, right? we engineer the mice to have the genetic components. Oh, okay. Yeah, they give them oh, they the genetic yeah. yeah, okay. But but the, the the so we've shifted our funding to eighty percent clinical trials mm-hmm. now, and that's that's really exciting because we're going to have a big part of our portfolio on these repurposed drugs, which is a really important role for the foundation because pharmaceutical companies don't really want to do that because the revenue, the ultimate payout of a of, right. a, of a repurposed drug, is not that great. But the the scientific advances that you know Viagra. Um, multiple myeloma drugs like revlimid and thalidomide was was thalidomide and it was repurposed for multiple myeloma and became wow. the leading drug from yeah. there's there's many examples yeah. of this kind of thing right so we're we're We've had success in the last few years of repurposed drugs, um, 
drugs that we've taken from ALS, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, even cancer, heart mm -hmm. disease, hypertension, diabetes, and on. I won't go into the science or the theories of why they make sense to test them in Alzheimer's, but mm -hmm. they do. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten really interesting results. Mm -hmm. So the next, let's say five years, the five-year goal is to really invest in innovation and clinical trials. And we're currently raising a very large clinical trial fund because clinical trials are really expensive. I mean, right. a, a clinical so trial at I mean, $5 million barely makes it. Yeah. And a lot of the phase two trials are 25 to 50 million. And then when you want proof of concept at the phase three, that where you can ultimately go to the FDA for approval, you're talking about needing a pharma partner because those trials are three, $400 million. Right, right. Well, you've come so far you do so much for the disease, so much awareness, so much education. I mean, somebody like in Nancy's position has really been able to, you know, find a place, a community where she can really get a lot of support. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge step in terms of the drugs that you're investing in. I'm sure that soon there'll be hopefully even greater strides yeah. for this very, very debilitating disease for not just the patient, but the whole family. Yeah. So we thank you so much okay, for being you. here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. So stay tuned, guys, for more episodes on Perfectly Palm Beach. Thank you.